Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I want to welcome you who are on campus here and all those of you who are watching later online and doing church at home. We are a church that's a little bit different, and that is we're a church focused exclusively on Jesus Christ, what he said, why he said it. We study the New Testament. We also study the Old Testament in context to understand who Jesus is. And the reason why is because we believe that fluff is not enough. And if 2020 has done anything, it has shown us that a lot of the things that we spent time on caring about or pouring ourselves into turned out to be completely insufficient. And uh, when all this stuff hit, it really has challenged us to find really good answers to really important questions about life. And so what we're doing is a series called Hashtag Blessed. And this series is a study of what Paul taught the Philippians. It's recorded in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And it's about how to find joy even when life is not going well, even when bad things are happening, and also how to stay joyful when great things are going on. It's all about understanding joy in really what it is. Now, joy is a very attractive thing. It really is. I mean, people who have a lot of joy, have a lot of hope, tend to really inspire us. Now, here's a guy that I found really interesting. His name is Nick Vujicic or Vujicic or Vujicic or something or other, but he was born with a genetic defect of no arms and no legs. He was mercilessly uh, teased as he was young, and when he was 10 years old, he tried to commit suicide. But what happened is he realized you can either be angry for what you don't have or be thankful for what you do have. And in that moment, he says, I came to meet Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I found hope, and that gave him joy. No limbs, no limits, no excuses. That's his motto. He now travels around to schools and all over the place, inspiring people with joy of what they have and what God can do in their lives. There's even a picture of him now with he's married and he's got four kids. Look at that. One thing he's he said in the past, I don't have to change diapers. But other than that, <laughs> he's loved, but he surfs, he swims, he uh, the other thing is now he's taken up golfing. You know, and I'm like, that is an amazing thing. This guy, he really inspires me. And good things inspire us. Joy-filled people, people with hope, really inspire us. And you know why? The reason why is because you are meant for joy. You're designed for joy. You're the healthiest that you can be when you're filled with joy. You know, when you think about your life, where it's going, whenever you set plans, whenever you make goals, whenever you're working towards something or you have hope in the future, you know where that comes from? It comes from a wellspring of joy because you are designed for joy, but not just any joy. See, the world knows this. And so what the world does is try to convince us of what will bring us joy or convince us of what could make us happy. But in reality, the only way we can actually experience and live and walk in real joy and really be a happy person is when we learn biblical joy and what it really is. And that's why we're calling this series, Learning How to Be Blessed Even When You're Stressed. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians uh, chapter two, we're going to jump in there. And as you're doing that, I want to show you our graphic that has always told us about how happiness works. Now, 
The first week I drew it with my hands, so you had to imagine it. The second week I actually scratched it out on paper, and this week we have a moving graphic. That's because we're up in our game. This all came from a wellspring of graphic joy, right? So uh, here's, here's how it works. Everybody has a baseline of happiness or a baseline of joy. We call this your attitude, okay? And what happens is when good things happen in your life, you go up in your mood, but guess what happens? Over time, you always regress back to your mean or your baseline. It's the same thing when bad things happen. You, oh boy, things are bad, your mood changes, but guess what? You eventually regress back up. But now notice what happens when your attitude of joy, your baseline gets pulled down. And what, when it gets pulled down, the negatives grow bigger and stronger in your life. And so what this whole series is, is what Paul teaches in Philippians of how to change this baseline from it going down to going up, okay? And that's what he talks about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30. So we're going to be focusing on that section right there. And the key verse in this section is verse 15, a little phrase where he says, my goal is that you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So the, the goal of teaching today from Paul's letter is that is how do we become uh, inspirational, joy-filled people that are attractive to everyone else, all right? So what Paul does is he lists out from 12 and following, five things that you need to eliminate from your life if you want your baseline attitude of joy to grow, okay? And by eliminating these things, you'll become a more joy-filled person. So what are they? Let's begin with number one. First of all, not taking your faith seriously. You must eliminate this from your life if you want your joy to go up. Listen to what verse 12 says. So then, my beloved just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So he's saying, you guys really followed Jesus, took it seriously when I was there, and now you're doing it even though I'm gone. He goes, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So what does fear and trembling mean? It means you better take it seriously. And what are you to take seriously? Your own salvation. This is your journey of faith. Guys, your journey of faith cannot be done by your wife. She can't drag you along and make you take your faith seriously. Ladies, if you're not married, guess what? You have to take your faith seriously. If you're growing up in a house and you're in high school, you need to take your faith seriously. Why? because you're trying to answer one of the most important questions of life. And you know what that question is? Why am I alive? What is the meaning of my existence? Well, the only way to find the answer to that question is if you take your faith seriously. This theme is all throughout the New Testament. It talks about how faith is so important. And he's telling the Philippians, work this out. It's got to be your journey of faith. It can't be anybody else's. It can't be uh, my, you know, your pastor, your mentor, your disciple, your boss, your sister, your spouse, your kids. It's got to be yours and yours alone. Take it seriously. Now, one of the things that we found is that so many people don't take it seriously. And this is the quickest way to see your baseline attitude of joy 
go down. Craig Rochelle wrote a book called Christian Atheist. Isn't that a weird name for a book? Well, you know what his postulate was? There's a whole lot of people who think they're Christians or believe they're Christians, but they live like atheists. God has no serious influence in their life. And this, my friends, will diminish your attitude of joy like nothing else. And you know this in every other area of your life, don't you? Halfway living is no way to live, is it? I mean, think about this. You have a job, right? And you're halfway in your job. You halfway like it and you halfway hate it. Well, what happens is you lose all your motivation to get up and go do your job. You have, it's like, oh my goodness, the little, this thing will set you off and you're complaining about what management are doing or your boss is doing, this person is doing because you're halfway in and you're halfway out and you're miserable about it, right? You either need to be all the way in and be committed to your job or you need to go do something else. But the halfway thing will drive you crazy. Relationships, aren't they the same way? You know, it seems like finding love in today's world is harder than it's ever been before, and COVID didn't make it any easier, right? And so today, I I mean, I've heard this for a while, but it's even gotten more pronounced, is women are saying to me, man, I I wish I could just find a guy who would be committed to the relationship. And then I talk to guys, and they're like, I just wish I could find a woman who knew what she wanted, you know, because I'm so confused. How do you commit to something when you're so confused about it? So everybody seems to be halfway in or halfway out. And doesn't that drive you crazy when you're in a relationship, a romantic relationship, and you go, I have no idea where this is going? It will drive you nuts. If you're married, if, if your spouse is only halfway committed, oh boy, that's a total joy ride, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh wow, that is really hard. You feel like you're doing all the work. And so that's no way to live. You know that. Church is the same way, isn't it? If you're halfway in church and you're halfway out of church, then it's just just no fun. It's just kind of, it's kind of interesting because um, uh, prior to COVID, and this happened is uh, even more pronounced during COVID, is that uh, our church is, is all focused on you meeting Jesus Christ personally and then engaging in his community, right? We feel that the best way to grow spiritually, take your faith seriously, is much done much better in a circle than a row, right? As the preacher, that pains me to say it at times, right? But I'm not the best advocate for your spiritual growth. Being in a small group is, right? And so we, we're totally oriented towards that. And so anytime people come, we're trying to do everything we can to meet them and try to get them to engage in community. And this is what happens a, a large percent of the time. And that is, is that we'll, we'll call people and, and try to reach out to them, they don't call you back. You email them, they don't email you back. You invite them to stuff, they, they say they come and RSVP and then they don't show up. And then after about, you know, six months of this, you talk to them and they go, well, you know, I just don't feel connected to your church. You know, I don't feel like I'm a part. And you're like, well, we're gonna pray for you because you kind of need to figure some things out, right? Um, is that, you know, you have to want to take it seriously enough and until you do that, it's not, God is not going to move in any dynamic way until you take your faith seriously. Halfway to live is no way to live in a job, relationship, marriage, parenting, or even your church. So take what, you, what God wants to do in you seriously, okay? That's what he says. Work it out with fear and trembling, meaning take it very seriously. The second thing he says, moving right on to the next verse in 13, is this. 
You need to eliminate ignoring God's work within you. Look at it. He says, verse 13, did you know God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure? If you ignore God working in your life, then your baseline attitude of joy will go down. Why? Because authentic joy and the way it goes up is an underlying belief that God is working in a good way in your life, even when things go bad. Even when things aren't working out for you, guess what? You still deep down inside think, wow, I don't know what it is right now. I don't know what the lesson is. It's hard, but I know that God's deep love for me, I trust that he's gonna work something good out of this mess. Now, if you don't believe it, you know what happens? Your attitude changes about your relationship with God from one of love, trust, and faith to one of fear, judgment, and shame. There was a, a guy I was talking to probably about, oh, about two years ago, and he was telling this story about, he said, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but it was mostly, you know, we go to church, we followed the rules, we did all that. So he went to college and he rebels, right? And when he rebels uh, in college, he gets off, he said, you know, I, I just thought God was just there trying to get me. And he goes, um, I, I went and I heard a speaker uh, at college and the speaker told this story and it really resonated with me. It was a joke, but it really, and I, well, what was the story? He goes, well, he said, there are these two boys that were always into trouble, you know, and they were like, uh, uh, they were right next to each other about 18 months apart. And mom, had, mom was at a wit's end. She didn't know what to do. She just couldn't um, do anything with them. And so she was at church telling the pastor this. And the pastor was a, a, an older, you know, Southern Baptist style pastor. You know, he's a big guy with a big beard, you know, and intimidating figure. He says, well, you send him to me and we'll see if we can't help you out, mom. She goes, okay, I'll try anything. So she sends her boys down to the pastor. Who are, these boys are always in trouble. And he makes one of the boys sit outside the younger in, in the thing, in one of those big chairs, and he brings the other boy into his office. He sits down and he looks at that boy and he goes, where is God? And that little boy looks at him and goes, mm. and he goes, where is God? And then the little boy starts shaking a little bit. And then he booms his hand on the desk. And he shouts at that little boy. He goes, where is God? And he lulls out a little yelp. And he jumps down. He bursts out of the office. He grabs his brother. They burst out the doors. They're running down the block. They jump behind a bush. And he goes, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, but God's missing. And they think we had something to do with it. <laughs> so I thought, that's a funny story. I go, what does that mean? So he, he's kind of talking. He just says, well, I always thought that was God, you know, um, that, that God was just waiting for me to make a mistake so that he could make me feel guilty about it. And he goes, it wasn't until I heard this guy talk about that that's not God. God's underlying good pleasure, his will for your life, is that he's working in you towards a good thing, even when bad stuff is happening. And that, he said, changed my relationship from one of distrust, judgment, and shame to one of love, trust, and faith. You know, when you ignore God's work within you, you're ignoring his good pleasure for your life. So eliminate it. 
and you will see your baseline attitude of joy go up. Number three, he keeps going on. We're going just verse by verse. He said, you want your attitude of joy to go up? Then stop grumbling and complaining. Stop arguing, disputing, and fighting. Do all things without complaining or arguments. When you grumble and argue, it reduces your baseline attitude of joy because you're assuming that the situation you're complaining about or fighting over is designed for one purpose, your benefit. It's designed for your benefit and your benefit alone. However, when you get rid of that attitude, you start realizing that sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. And in any situation, I have an opportunity to discover more of what God wants to do in my life, and I can shine like a star to everyone. Look at Nick, born without arms and legs, the first 10, 15 years of his life. It was easy for him to be angry, angry at God for cheating him of the same life that everybody would have the attitude or opportunity for. And yet, what did he do? What did Nick do? He said, I am not going to be angry about what I don't have, but I'm going to have hope and be thankful for what I do. And when that switch happened in him, he stopped grumbling, he stopped fighting with the world, fighting with God, fighting with others, and he found peace. You can see his joy go way up. Now he just shines like a star to all those around him. He's so inspirational in that way. Now, it keeps going on. Why should you not argue and dispute and complain? Because another thing that really pulls down your joy baseline attitude is being overly friendly with the culture around you. So this is number four. And in verse 15, here is what it says. So that this word here tells you that what he's about to teach you is based on what he just said. Do not grumble. Do not argue so that you may become blameless and pure. So the more you complain, the more you argue and dispute, the less blameless you become. He says you want to become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Once you understand this, you can shine among them like stars in the sky. Now, here's why this is hard to eliminate from your life, because there's two things happening at once, and it creates a little confusion in our minds, okay? And here's how it works. It's on the one hand, Jesus said, I have come that if you know me, you might have life more abundantly or life to the fullest, right? And so we understand that to mean is that, well, I'm supposed to enjoy parts of this life, right? Uh, If you're single and you meet somebody and you fall in love, aren't you supposed to enjoy that? You're supposed to enjoy being in love. You're married. You're supposed to enjoy that. This is why people watch Hallmark movies constantly, right? It's the same exact story. It's in a different little town with different names, but it's the exact same story over and over again. And what do we do? Tens of millions of people watch it over and over again. I don't know anybody in my family that way. (laughs) 
If you're watching online, you didn't catch my wife coughing out loud in the auditorium. So why, why do we do that? Because we want to enjoy, we're, we're designed to enjoy that, right? We enjoy that. We enjoy, you know, we enjoy adventure sports. We enjoy camping. We enjoy the great outdoors. We enjoy uh, uh, starting a business and solving a problem. We enjoy the fact that we work hard and we make money and we provide for the people around us. We enjoy the fact that uh, when our children are born, what a blessed moment that is. And we enjoy those those times, you know, when they really start to interact with you, you know, and all that time, then they become teenagers, oh, then you enjoy prayer. Um, but uh, you, you just, my point is, is there's so much in life, whether it's nature or it's family or it's friends or it's love or it's uh, uh, achieving things, having new adventures, traveling. We love that and we're meant to enjoy that, aren't we? As we should. Those are really good things. But we also know another truth, and that is, if I buy into the world and what it teaches too much, it will consume me. It will destroy my life. You know, getting a job and making money and uh, providing for your family and being able to, uh, uh, if you have more kids, get a little bigger house, those are really, really things to enjoy. But we all know that person who bought into what makes me happy is making more money and nothing else. And they lose their kids, they lose their spouse, they lose all that because making that deal or getting more money is the most important thing to them. So if you buy into the world too much, it will consume you. We know that falling in love is awesome, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful when, when two people fall in love and then they make deep covenanted, covenantal commitment to each other and then they stand before family and friends and they take vows before each other and then they go off on their honeymoon? What a great time to enjoy, right? But we all know people who supplant sex for love. And what does it do to them? It consumes them. And then every relation, sexual relationship, they feel more devalued. They feel more empty. You see, isn't it possible that two things can be true at once? We're meant to enjoy this world, right? And the things in this world. But if we buy into what the world says on how to enjoy them, it will consume us and destroy us. When you become overly friendly with the culture around you, it ends up deceiving you and stealing your joy. It lowers your baseline of joy. So this is why it's so important to have God first. It's so interesting in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about the stress that the material world, the anxiety that the material world can create in our lives. And he ends it off by saying this in verse 33, but if you seek God and his kingdom first in righteousness, all these things will be added unto you as well. Somebody once said it this way, if you try to love the world and love God, you end up hating God and hating the world. But if you love God first and he is your priority, all these other things in the world come into your enjoyment as well. What an important principle. Don't be overly friendly with the world. Eliminate friendship with the world from your life, and you'll see your joy baseline go up. Now look at what he says in verse 16. The next thing you need to do is eliminate not holding firm to the word of life. He says, verse 16, your baseline attitude of joy will grow up, go up as you hold firmly to the word of life, so that on the day of Christ, 
I can take pride because I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's saying, I put you on the right path. I put you on the right track and you stayed on it. And guess what? You were victorious. What we did wasn't in vain. You made good decisions. All of our hard work is paying off for a wonderful and glorious inheritance in the kingdom of God. How did you do that? How did you achieve that? By holding firmly to the word of life. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't teach that the, he doesn't say the scriptures. He calls the, these scriptures, the word of what? Life. Why does he do that? Because the Bible is about life. It's about the kind of life we were meant to live and experience. The biggest threat to our baseline attitude of joy, the thing that can pull it down quicker than anything else is deception. It's falsehood. You know, the thing we don't want to do is we don't want to pursue things in life that end up being false. Don't you hate being lied to or betrayed? Isn't that just the most heart-hurting thing that you can go through when someone intentionally deceives you? Well, what's even worse than that is when you deceive yourself. When you say, oh, this is going to make me happy. This is going to be awesome. We're going to do this. And oh boy, that was not a good idea. That was a bad decision. Man, how do you stay away from falsehood? How do you stay away from deceit? How do you uh, stay away from getting lost by holding firmly to the word of life? You know, being lost is no fun. I mean, when you're out there, especially, you know, I don't know what it is, but guys in particular, I know some, some gals are this way, but guys in particular, you know, we don't like to admit that we're lost, right? You remember, you remember Davy Crockett? He had a great line one time. He said, I've never been lost. I was mighty confused for five to six days, but I was never lost. I think a lot of guys are that way. Yeah, I have no idea where I am, but I know where the north is. And if I keep walking north, I'll eventually find myself. See, we don't like admitting that we're lost at times. We don't like, but what, what happens is getting lost is easy when you don't hold to the word of life. And what he's talking about is the worst kind of lostness, a confusion about your life, confusion of where your life is going, what your life was meant for, and the purpose of why you are here. So, Eliminate that and you are going to see your baseline of joy attitude of every day go up. Now, let's talk about the impact that this has on your life when you eliminate these five things. Paul does a little shift here in verse 19 and he starts talking about Timothy and you start to think, oh, well, he's just kind of doing some personal housekeeping items, right? And he says, oh, I want to send Timothy to you and this and that. And that. But what if he put it in there very important to show a connection? Let's read them and find out the connection that Paul makes for us. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, excuse me, that I also may be cheered, which is similar to joy, when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Verse 21 says, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. So he says, Timothy 
has shown that he will be genuinely concerned for you and what Jesus wants to do there, not just his own interest. Verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proven or proved himself. What did he prove? Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he has committed himself and served faithfully in the preaching and teaching and spreading of the message of Jesus Christ. So what does eliminating those five things from your life do for you? Well, the first thing it does is this. Just like Timothy, it makes you care about the right things. Most people are concerned about their own interests. Very few are actually concerned about the interests of Jesus. You want to be more happy? Then ask this simple question. Jesus, what do you care about and how can I care about it? And you're going to find yourself a lot more happier. Number two, research has shown that the happiest people out there with the highest baseline are people who are devoted and committed to something much bigger than themselves. If they're just living for themselves, they tend not to be happy people. But if they're living and devoted to something bigger than themselves, they're much happier. So the second thing we see is the impact of eliminating things is you start to not only care about the right things, but you become a part of something bigger than yourself. What did he say about Timothy? He has faithfully served alongside me like a son serving with his father in the advancement of the gospel. Isn't that a neat thing to see? The third thing that happens is this, is the same thing that happened in Timothy, and that is you develop character. Do you want to know where confidence comes from? It comes from a strong character. Do you want to know where courage comes from? It comes from strong character. Do you want to know where peace comes from? Strong character. So the stronger your character, then the more happy or joy-filled you will become. And what does he say about Timothy? Timothy did what? He proved himself. That is a statement about his character. So when you eliminate those five things from your life and you start caring about God's word in you, you care about holding firmly to the word of life. You care about being a greater friend to Jesus than a greater friend to the world. You care about these things in your life. Guess what? Your happiness is going to go up. Paul teaches it and guarantees it. Why do I want to share this with you? Because I want you to be happy. I want you to be filled with joy so that your life shines like a star, just like Nick's life shines like a star. It inspires people around you. And it begins with knowing Jesus personally, that you know him. Just like Craig Rochelle's book, Christian Atheist, I think the issue there is that maybe these people know about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't know them. You know, uh, but in Wichita, before I moved out here uh, uh, 25 years ago in January, wow, it's amazing. A quarter of a century has gone by here and love Boise, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And when I was in Wichita, I was in church and I was discipling a young man by the name of Adam phenomenal singer, moved to Nashville to try to uh, start a career. And he knew Garth Brooks. Growing up, I think it was Oklahoma, grew up in the same town, went to high school with Garth's first wife, knew her really, really well, and hung out with Garth Brooks. And so he would tell me, you know, because we're doing discipleship, all these stories about Garth, how he and his first wife met, you know, when his kids were born, what they did in high school, what, all these stories about Garth Brooks, right? So 
I don't know, what was it, six months ago, nine months ago, Garth Brooks, probably a year ago, Garth Brooks did a concert in Boise, right? So he comes in at the concert, sells out so fast, they had to do two of them. And while he was here, he went and visited some of the local haunts. And one of the things is he went to one of the donut shops that I like, okay? Now, just imagine for a second, if uh, I, I go to, my, uh, to this donut shop I like, and who's there but Garth Brooks? So I just walk up to Garth Brooks because I know Garth Brooks. I know the stories of his life. I know how he met his first wife. I know when his kids were born. I know Garth Brooks like, man, like he's my best buddy. So I just go up to Garth Brooks and I slap him on the back. Hey, Garth, how's it going? What would happen to me? Yeah, his little entourage, which is actually a security detail of eight guys from Russia the size of mountains, they would face plant me in the concrete. Why? Because they don't know me. And who else doesn't know me? Garth Brooks. So many people approach their faith with Jesus like that. They know a lot of stories about Jesus. They know a lot of facts about Jesus. They believe Jesus is a person, just like I believe Garth Brooks is a country western singer. But when it really comes down to it, Jesus doesn't know them personally. That's why it's a big deal to our church. It's a big deal for you to know him personally because, my friends, that is the only way that your soul will ever be free, ever be satisfied. You'll ever discover a meaning and purpose in life and the only way you'll ever be able to live like a truly happy person. It all begins with knowing Jesus. Sarah's going to give us some steps on how to do it. Take them seriously if you have yet to meet him. Whenever you hear a message from the Bible, it is important to be a doer of the word, not just one who hears it. This is how we grow. The journey of faith is a personal one, and therefore it is your personal step that makes all the difference in your faith. Here are some steps that you can take to personally experience Jesus on a deeper level. First, you can download the free booklet on how to connect to Jesus from our webpage. It can be found here. Also, you can seriously consider getting baptized. Baptism is mentioned many times in the New Testament and is one of the ways that we personally connect to Jesus on a deeper spiritual level. To get baptized, all you need to do is text FH Baptism to 97000. You can also get involved in a small group. Foothills is a church of small groups. We have over 75 small groups and we are constantly starting new ones. We believe that you grow in your faith in a circle much better than in a row. Simply go to our website and check out our groups page to get started. Finally, if you need someone to pray with you, text FH Prayer to 97000. In honor of Veterans Day next week, we are providing small toy soldiers in the atrium of our church for you to pick up on your way out today. Every time you look at that toy soldier, remember a veteran and pray for them and their families. On behalf of our church, we wanna thank everyone who has served in our military. We thank you for your service and we honor you for it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are online or doing church at home, please continue the conversation by going through the discussion questions. And if you're on the main campus, please stand for our closing prayer. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.